we are live. We are live. Hey everyone, I'm Jeremy. I'm Hygo. And we are starting a podcast together because we're stuck indoors. Yep. And we have nothing better to do and everybody else in the world has a podcast, so we figured why not the two of us? Exactly. <laughs> we, uh, we are two pastors serving in the Armenian evangelical community and both of us met back in seminary. Uh, do you remember the first time we met? Not exactly, but I know when we met regularly. Uh, do you remember the first time we met? Or? I think the first time we met, I have a vague memory because I was exhausted, but we were on the committee on youth together and I flew in on a that, red eye. That's right, and wearing I, sunglasses. I walked into a meeting, it's like nine in the morning, like, total big Lebowski style, crazy hair and sunglasses. And I was just making nonsense in that meeting. Yes, I remember now. I try to <laughs> regret, uh, suppress bad first impressions. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I made a great impression on you. But but we, we got to know each other because we were learning Armenian at the Panera in Glendale. That's right. And we would meet uh, to learn our Armenian. Uh, and then we would end up talking about philosophy, theology, current events, Armenian community, American community, you name it. With Master Vahe Chakutian. Who is our Armenian teacher. Shout out to Vahe who taught us Armenian and how to complain about politics in Armenian. Thank you, Vahe. <laughs> Good times. In Panera. I think when we first met at that weird COI meeting, I think... You asked me what, what I was interested in in theology, and I said I was interested in church history and Athanasius, and you had this face of like, what the hell does this guy know about Athanas Athanasius and church history? That's how like messed up I looked that morning. Got it. I probably was, I was excited, probably. Total goof. I'm, I'm really bad at uh, my, uh, my facial uh, communication, because I tend to yeah. be like very stoic. Yeah. Um, so it's hard to read uh, what, what, what a lot. I feel like a lot of people have a bad facial uh, interpretation of what I'm communicating. Gotcha. But that could just be my insecurity speaking. But I tend to be too stoic or uh, don't show emotion. I feel like I'm the opposite. I feel like the Tomasians have a rich tradition of showing their expressions on their facial. Uh, that didn't make sense. Showing <laughs> their emotions through facial expression. Uh, I don't really hide the way I look right, uh, or the way that I feel. Um, cool. So we're coming up on Holy Week. This has been a weird season. Uh, we're all stuck indoors in quarantine for coronavirus, and it probably looks like we'll be there for like the next month. Yep. Probably till the end of summer, or the beginning of summer. Yeah, but hope, I hope not the end of summer. But uh so we have to like rethink how we do a lot of this stuff what do you so remind me what you're doing for like regular ministry now that everything is online what are you up to uh so yeah just moving the church services to uh uh, uh facebook live and over zoom uh those have been really helpful especially the zoom creates a community so we have time of sharing and praying and getting updates from people uh cool. doing online lectures uh, also via Zoom, uh, where I'm just still doing Bible study, but it's been really cool because uh, as a pastor in New York, um, I'm connected to a lot of people from different cities internationally, and um, 
it's been really cool to feel like an international church in many ways because we're always getting guests from different parts of the world uh, mm -hmm. for each of our services now that we're online. So that's been really cool. Uh, and I hear updates on, on different parts of the world and kind of seeing the church as this multicultural, multi-city uh, community, which is, it's been really, it's been really cool in that regard. But it, nothing beats the meeting face-to-face, -face, uh, hugging someone, having communion in person, praying with, laying on hands, like, I, I, I think people are going to uh, be more appreciative of this, uh, of just the human touch right after all this is done. Hmm. But what about you? Yeah, kind of a lot of the same as you. I mean, we're doing, we're doing pre-recorded messages um, and we blast those out every Sunday morning and we do midweek Wednesday devotionals that we're sending out every week. Um, and then we, we did our first uh, Zoom Bible study where people could interact and ask questions. And Zoom's a great platform. It feels like it's been pretty, pretty smooth in terms of using it for Bible study. So yeah. that was, you know, like you said, same kind of thoughts, like it's kind of cool, you know, people that I've been disconnected from just geographically, they pop up on the meeting. Um, my father-in-law and mother-in-law <laughs> jumped in on the Bible study. Um, people just, yeah, can connect in a lot. They can zoom, like tune in a lot easier. And so it's made for, made for interesting times. I don't know. Uh, like you said, it, I think it does kind of, create a realization that these things can be utilized even after this whole isolation thing and we can feel more globally connected as not just an Armenian evangelical community, but as a Christian community. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, you've been doing some of this stuff before this isolation took place or the quarantine took place, but um, there's a lot of stuff where I'm thinking, why didn't we do this before? <laughs> it's really hard to get everybody together at the church. It's still even harder. I mean, it's just as hard to get people together in a home so maybe this is just a second best until we get everybody together to church on sunday mornings yeah it, it, this thing forced people to fully embrace the digital technologies um i mean most yeah. companies are already using it more cutting edge churches were already using it but but the smaller uh, businesses the smaller churches uh they were forced to do this and it's just a yeah. Uh, uh, adaption of the digital communication that we're in. Um, I think this was a very, um, it's like, it just forced everyone to just embrace it and, and learn yeah. it. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Uh, the only alternative to this I've seen so far on like Twitter is uh, drive-in church. Have you seen this? No. What is a drive-in church? <laughs> people, people like actually pull up in their cars, like to go into a drive-in theater and pastor gets up on a stage and, stands outside and performs for them and then everybody gets in the car well everybody stays in their car everybody slowly exits and i think it's kind of strange but some people are doing it i guess it works in some places if you think about like the older population people who don't have like my church there's uh, uh things skewed towards the older age um in terms of congregants so there's a few congregants who are just disconnected because they don't have any sort of access to internet or computer. So I guess for that segment of a population, it sort of works. But it could give, totally gives a, a new meaning to fast food Christianity. Uh, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, that'd be hilarious. Fast food Christianity is... Uh, uh, yeah, explain what that is. It's like... Uh, 
it's a kind of a critique on American Christianity, uh, uh, where there's a shallowness to it at times, or it's just trying to pitch something or feed you something that's not necessarily uh, nutritious for you in the long run, but it kind of satisfies and entertains you in the short term. Um, and that's just a general critique of uh, certain church cultures where there's no depth to um, the spirituality that is so rich and nutritious yeah. and uh, wonderful. And uh, I think part of the cool thing about uh, the two of us, uh, I, I guess, kind of makes us a little bit different than your typical podcast. Uh, we do come from a rich uh, Christian heritage uh, that was forged from persecution and faithfulness. Uh, Armenians were the first Christian nation in 301 AD. Uh, but we're also part of a reform movement uh, that happened in 1846, uh, where 40 men and women gathered uh, to bring re reform among the Armenian Orthodox or the Armenian Apostolic Church. So it's kind of an interesting Protestant take on uh, one of the oldest church traditions, but also being from uh, of an Armenian background, we're kind of in between the East and West worlds. Uh, so it definitely feels like... Um, uh, we'll have a different insight just naturally uh, because of our upbringing. Uh, but what what are your thoughts on just being an Armenian evangelical? What does that even mean to you? Yeah, like, I mean, like you like you said, we tap into a really deep, rich, ancient Christian tradition. So American evangelicalism uh, doesn't maybe really claim to be as or maybe, uh, it doesn't seem to go as deep in terms of tradition uh as as armenian evangelicalism we have uh a deeper connection to um church fathers and understanding of the way the christian tradition developed over the ages um and like you said i think armenians just generally as a culture are um i've used this language a lot more recently but they're a broker culture so we're we're kind of between two worlds we're always between east and west and so we've had to navigate uh, holding, you know, politically, religiously, um, economically, we've had to sort of figure out how to navigate two worlds. Um, I think recently we had that um, peaceful revolution in Armenia, and most um, most people who observed it and analyzed it said one of the reasons it was so successful was because it didn't take sides between east and west it decided to be a purely armenian like national uh revolution it, it like it didn't make enemies with russia it didn't make enemies with the west it it just wanted to be itself and i think you know that's kind of indicative of the way our culture works we're trying to broker a way to navigate between those the rock and the hard place i guess so to speak um yeah for those who are more interested uh, google the velvet revolution in armenia it just happened last year it's still kind of yeah, long, it's still ongoing uh, it's pretty cool what's happening yeah yeah i think um now they're trying to figure out how to govern now that that has sort of succeeded they're trying to figure out how to organize a government around uh free and fair governing so um so yeah, I think we have definitely our 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 food is probably not going to be fast food. No, it's uh, <laughs> Lebanese Armenian fusion. That's Lebanese the stuff Armenian I grew, fusion. That, that's the stuff we grew up on. Yeah, yeah. 
some, um, of the best, some of the best food on the world in the world best of all the worlds and we're the first to make wine yep it's in have the you, bible bro <clears throat> have you been to the Arani <laughs> caves i was there a year and a half ago uh it's uh, a part in armenia where it's the oldest winery uh yeah 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 no i hadn't we didn't get there when we were there they're still excavating it and they're kind of renewing the wine industry. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty cool uh, area. It's a lot of history I've had there. It. It's amazing wine, but I've, yeah. I haven't been to the, the winery. Um, cool. What's, um, what's going on for you for Holy Week? What are we doing for Holy Week this, this year? So now that everything has changed. Yeah. So uh, we're moving to an online uh, Holy Week service so holy week is starts off palm sunday it ends with easter it's kind of like the 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 nba playoffs for pastors there's usually multiple services going on <laughs> yeah uh, people get uh uh really uh into the faith that they're in this week and uh we're gonna just kick things off with a palm sunday uh worship service this coming sunday mm -hmm. uh, and then we're gonna do something a little risque uh which we're looking to do an ecumenical uh, Maundy Thursday service or Holy Thursday service where we're going to do it online and actually do something uh, where we do virtual communion. So um, people have to bring their own wine, their own bread and their own meal. Um, and we're going to do it over Zoom. Um, and then we're just going to do Easter. Uh, I don't know if we're going to do a Good Friday service, but yeah. Yeah, that's a lot to do a Good Friday service, too. Yeah. Um, do you guys typically do a Good Friday service? Uh, sometimes. It depends. Yeah. If we were a bigger church, we would probably do it uh, more regularly. But so it's like every couple of years, we kind of uh, figure things out. It's interesting. As a, as a, so I pastor a church in the middle of Manhattan, a lot of young professionals. Uh, and uh, unlike most churches, during the holidays, the church uh, empties out because people usually travel home, go home. Yeah. So we have like an inverse effect. Uh, so some of our uh, least attended uh, gatherings are during the holidays. Yeah. So it's hard yeah. to pull off uh, multiple holiday services if you're a small urban church in the middle of the city. Yeah, it's hit or miss for us. We get a lot of people, we get a lot of visitors in the summer. Um, winter, there's not very many people coming to Chicago in the middle of winter for the holidays. So... <laughs> But I mean, we're like, we're kind of a Midwest culture. So there's a lot of, you know, family coming back home and stuff like that. So there's an occasional, it's a little different than Manhattan for sure. But, but we have sort of the same similar experience. Um, I love the Good Friday. So we have a Good Friday service every year. And it's one of my favorite services. Um, call it a service of darkness. <laughs> it's just a pretty epic last epic yeah. name. Yeah. Um, but it, uh, it's part of a, a tradition where, uh, at Good Friday, uh, you close the service, you kind of track the, the stations of the cross all the way to the crucifixion and the burial. And then after the burial, the whole church goes dark, all the candles go out, all the lights are out and everybody leaves in darkness. Um, so that on Sunday morning, when they come for the resurrection, um, all the doors are burst open. The lilies are all out. And the light is shining bright. So it's kind of like a reenactment celebration of, of the resurrection. But um, that's getting ahead of ourselves. Let's go to Palm Sunday. 
Yeah, so I think... What are you going to teach Palm Sunday? Um, what are you working with? So Palm Sunday is always weird to me because it's like growing up as a kid, it's like you carry these palms into the sanctuary. Uh, Jesus comes on a donkey and it's like, yay. It's like, what's going on? <laughs> and part of me is still thinking that way. Like, what is really going on here? So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think there's there's two points I'm going to uh, flesh out, um, like why Jesus came into Jerusalem uh, and kind of how he kind of angered different people by the end of the week. Um, and I think it's revolved around the concept of him uh, coming to uh, renew the temple system or to destroy and rebuild the temple system. And then the other is to come as a king. So the first point is uh, uh, crucial because it's, it's, it's kind of the death and resurrection piece where he's uh, re renewing the whole system or fulfilling the whole system. And that'll anger uh, the religious leaders of his community. Uh, but then you have the claim of him being the Christ or the king uh, where it angers the Roman authorities. So I'm, I've been thinking about kind of that concept of uh, mm. Jesus coming as both the priest uh, um, who renews the temple system or fulfills the temple system and uh, Jesus coming back as the king to reclaim the promises of God. So you have uh, the Old Testament prophecies being fulfilled in this act of Jesus coming to Zion, to Jerusalem, to fulfill the priestly duties and also the, the to take back the throne to God. Yeah, so, yeah. But it's hard to see all that because it's just a donkey on uh, a guy on a donkey and people with palms and screaming Hosanna. But, yeah, but it's yeah. extremely rich. Yeah, there's a couple things. Like, for one, like I feel like Palm Sunday is difficult because you have to situate Palm Sunday within like the whole narrative of the Bible. Like some of the other passages that you work with during the year, they're, they're not so contextual, but this is one of those Sundays where like, it doesn't make sense unless you situate it in the context of God coming back to his temple and his city and his people and making things right. Um, which always takes a lot of time <laughs> to set the stage. You're like, you feel like, am I over explaining this? But most people are like, not going to know that narrative. So you have to do that. Um, but then there's also kind of a cool element that didn't strike me until you just sort of brought it up. But you know, in the Old Testament, generally in the reform tradition, there's always been this kind of threefold office of uh, a prophet, a priest and a king, right? And so, uh, Typically, in the Old Testament, those are all, all held by, by different individuals. It's kind of like the U.S. government. There's the executive branch, the legislative, and the judicial. And they, like, they don't, they're not supposed to, sort of like a checks and balances. So, uh, you know, a king is never to be a priest. And a priest is never a king and a prophet never. But it's interesting that in the, in the, the texts on Palm Sunday, Jesus melds all of those offices into himself. So he comes as king um he comes as the priest who cleanses the temple and he's also he comes as a prophet because he pronounces judgment um in luke i think it's in luke he comes and he cries over jerusalem and and says how how often i would have taken you and gathered you together uh what is it like hens is that what it is 
I think so. Yeah. I think it is. We'll have to look it up. We'll have to look it up. But um but it's interesting how how Jesus sort of gathers all those three offices up and then walks right in and becomes the prophet, the priest, and the king in, in one movement. Um there's also I just love I call Palm Sunday the Sunday of irony. <laughs> I feel like Palm Sunday is just a uh a Sunday to just revel and celebrate the irony of of what's going on in the scene like beyond just that whole cliche thing of the people who sing hosanna are saying crucify him on friday but like like just the deeper sense of like he's coming he's riding on as a king people are like celebrating him as king but nobody realizes what that means like they're speaking truth deeper than they know uh he's riding on a donkey a colt like it's just a really like embarrassing scene for anybody who's actually a king um and yet the reality is that's exactly what he's doing that's what god is doing um yeah i also i like that one of the ways i've heard palm sunday or at least jesus's entry into jerusalem sort of framed as as uh you ever heard of like performance art what do you mean performance art is like when uh when people will walk out into like public oh like you know the um the people who will like have a flash choir in the middle of like times square that's performance art where people will like show up in public and do some sort of shocking thing to make a point and to be sort of cutting edge and edgy um and so I kind of have found Jesus's movement there during Passover coming in, claiming, like doing all the things that a king would do, but in a very unassuming way, is sort of a piece of like performance art trying to get a point across to the people that they'll remember forever. Because, right, like the Old Testament, uh, King Saul rode in on donkey to Jerusalem. Uh, mm-hmm. There's this long, David. there's David, there's this longing that the, the kingdom uh, will return so that there's that con- direct connection from the yeah. Old Testament uh, kings. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then there's also the prophecy. Is it Zechariah uh, that he will come on yeah. a donkey? Yep. And then you yep. have a lot of these uh, uh, temple imagery from Ezekiel and uh, coming from the East. Um, so, so and in Isaiah as well, there, there's a lot of Old Testament passages to, to, to talk about, to explain it. So it is kind of overwhelming because I feel like this is next to Easter. This is like the top three, especially in the Armenian culture. I would even say more people come to Palm Sunday at times. Yeah. Well, we have food on Palm Sunday, so definitely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Palm Sunday Sunday dinners. Yeah. Luncheons. Uh, It's hard to explain, like you said earlier, like the, just all the buildup to this moment. Uh, And it's confusing. Uh, if, we, huge, if you don't yeah. unpack the Old Testament. And I, I think it's a, especially if, if, if the people who normally come to a Palm Sunday don't, aren't there for the Bible studies on a weekly Sundays to, to know the Old Testament. And even those who attend church uh, on a regular basis, a lot of churches don't preach about the Old Testament passages that explain yeah. the significance of this event. Um, so yeah, it, it is actually a big challenge for pastors. I think, because I think, like you just said, that cliche, like, oh, the crowd on Sunday is saying, Hosanna, God save us. And then they're saying is crucified. Yeah, but it's probably more complicated uh, than that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I um, think um, 
you, you nailed it on the head. I think part of the problem with Palm Sunday is it doesn't make sense unless you plug it in to the broader Old Testament narrative. Like you can get away with not connecting things to the Old Testament and some other passages of the New Testament, but Palm Sunday is one of those things that you just, if you don't know the historical theological background of the Old Testament, then it's just like a swing or miss. Like it's a swing and a miss. You can't, you can't catch it. Um, one thing I think is helpful, and I just thought of this as we were talking, you know, for thousands of years, one of the ways um, the church has framed Easter is through the recapitulation of the Exodus story. Um, and, you know, there's like a, I had a professor who used to say, you can't understand the gospels unless you stand, understand Exodus and you can't understand Exodus unless you understand Genesis. And so one of the ways to frame the Palm Sunday story is sort of the beginning of the Exodus narrative um, leading up to Easter. So like God is coming to Jerusalem and in the paradigm of the Exodus story, Jerusalem has become the Egypt. It's become the Pharaoh. It's become the oppressor. And so Jesus is showing up uh, as Moses in one way, <laughs> like let my people go. He's showing up as priest in another way, cleansing the temple and prophet in another way saying Jerusalem has become the Egypt. It's become the oppressor. And in all that God is coming to Jerusalem and saying, you know, a new exodus is taking place. What do you yeah. think about that? Is that missing I mean, anything? You no, know, it, make, it makes sense to me. Uh, I mean, this event happens in all four Gospels, and then you have the Passover motif throughout uh, his arrival, you know, and then the Last Supper. Uh, it's all about reenacting that exact story. So it's, it's definitely there, but it goes back to uh, you have to know your Old Testament yeah. to understand the, the sacrifice of Christ and uh, yeah. Uh, what what his salvation will redeem us from? So like absolutely, I mean, uh, and and Paul talks about this uh, in the New Testament too. It's, it's 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 definitely always quoted back to in good sermons where Christ redeems us from the bondages of slavery of sin and death, and Satan. Um, and yeah. His his blood is the 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 salvific blood that 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 covers us and protects us. Yeah. Uh, from from these uh, things. Um, so it's de it's definitely there. I mean, there, it's a lot of richness, but but it's hard to uh, jam pack all this. Yeah, on Sunday, on a Sunday morning, and a sound bite. I and mean, especially when there's food and and kids carrying palms. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly, exactly. I think um. And to tie it back to like, to Genesis, like one of the things I think we. So this might take us down a slight rabbit trail. We don't have to go this way if we don't want to, but. One of the things we lose sight of sometimes is when we talk about Israel or Abraham and his family as a people chosen by God, I think we forget that that's within the broader context of the cosmos of the world. So whatever's happening in the Exodus story is happening for the world, right? So it's not like it's not like it's just happening for these people. And the Exodus story is God judging oppressive, unjust Pharaoh and systems that are unjust and oppressive for the sake of creation to thrive and have life, right? So that's how it's connected to Genesis. There's a really interesting 
way to read Exodus and the plagues as um, an undoing of creation for Pharaoh so that creation can be rebuilt and restored and made new and have life. Um, so jumping to the New Testament and going to Palm Sunday, this, this movement into Jerusalem, like the Exodus, is not just a, an Israel story. It's a world story. What God is doing there is for the whole world, right? It's not just this like niche community, like it's a broad cosmic story that's taking place there. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, as a Christian, definitely something shifts dramatically uh, by the time of the, the death and resurrection. The, the, the whole cosmos is completely altered and affects us now. Um, and this is the, the beginning point of all that. Uh, yeah. Something of eternal significance that transpires yeah. uh, with the arrival of the Christ coming from the east yeah. on a donkey uh, to take back... Uh, uh, God's authority over this world, uh, like to let God be God again. Yeah. Um, and it, it's interesting, this motif of the coming king, you right? like, uh, my two favorite trilogies is uh, uh, the original Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. <laughs> the original. Original. Yeah. Uh, I actually have more, I find my, I have more fun bashing the prequels and the new ones than the movies themselves. So it's like another, it's a weird way to have pleasure by yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, critiquing the the new movies, I, I find yeah. more joy like listening to inter- internet trolls on YouTube than the actual. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but where was I? Okay, so the uh, the first Star Wars uh, episodes uh, four, five, and six. The sixth one is the Return of the Jedi, so it's the re- re- reestablishment of the mm-hmm. returning order. And then in yeah, Lord of the yeah. Rings, you have the Return of the King. The, 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 yeah. the, the long-awaited King has come back. Um, like for human history, this is the return of the king. This is God fulfilling his promises in the most uh, uh, mysterious and profound way, uh, embodying the person, his son, Jesus Christ, who was sent to retake uh, 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 dominion for this world, like to, to retake uh, uh, his city um, yeah. for the peoples of all the of the nations to fulfill the promises that were long awaited, the long expectations yeah. uh, are found in this uh, moment where the right. king is returning right. uh, and, and God could return. Uh, I mean, the people could return back to God. Right. And for that, like that Eden image of life and thriving and flourishing to take off in the world, right? That's the aim of God to restore a world that's, become disconnected and as a result uh, broken and unjust and oppressive because of that disconnection. Right. I think it's interesting that like, like you mentioned, so return of the, I mean uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, uh, the star Wars trilogy, so many other like pop culture references could be brought up um, just literature in itself for centuries and centuries. Like it's captured by this idea, right? So there's something interesting. There's um, this is like bizarre. I mean, it's a little bit, a little bit off topic. But there's this whole um, branch of psychology called Jungian psychology, and it deals with like archetypes and the collective subconscious. Basically, its argument is that there's this like collective subconscious that contributes to all humanity to some degree. Um, and it's like it works under the radar that we don't even know sometimes that it's there. And so there's a sense that like, that 
in our collective human subconscious, there is this desire to be reconnected with God. And there's this desire to have this story where God orders things and makes things right. And it's all kind of summed up in this scene of Jesus walking right into Jerusalem and starting that story of making things right. We all kind of want that, right? Like we all desire it, whether we like communicate it the same way or not. Like it's a, it's a deep human longing to have things be made right. How that works is always, you know, the devil's in the details as they say, but there's that desire in all of us, I think. Right. With relationships, with systems, with politics, whatever it might be, like we all want things to be set right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so maybe that's a way into Palm Sunday. I don't know. Maybe that's a way to phrase what's going on here. But um, yeah, I don't know. Maundy Thursday is always an interesting one too. Do you know where Maundy comes from? What that um, word means? Yes, I think it's the Latin word for command, right? Uh, so it's the new commandment. So Jesus uh, says uh, a new command, I give you to love others as I love you. Uh, yep. Which is fascinating because uh, he says it right after, I think, I believe if I remember correctly, he says it right after Judas leaves to betray him. Uh, so now is the time for fulfillment where he's about to show the sacrificial love, uh, where he's about to actually die for us. Hmm. Um, um, and he's giving this, this, this great commandment. And it's the golden mean fully realized. So, so you have Jesus saying that I am the standard of do unto others as you want to do unto you. Hmm. Uh, and he rephrases that by saying, love others as I love you. Because uh, I think part of the problem of, of, of this world is we can't really discern what's good and evil. And going back to the Genesis story, when the first parents ate of the forbidden fruit, knowing good and evil, we took on the role or responsibility of God, knowing what's right and wrong. Hmm. And Jesus is saying, I am coming as God's begotten son. I'm here. I've showed you what's goodness. I'm the Lord who knows right and wrong. Like mm. I'm going to show, I've shown you what, what this looks like. What is good? What is evil? What is love? Mm. What is mm. selfishness? Mm. Uh, and I'm now commanding you uh, and reminding you with this meal that we're going to have um, to love others as I love you. Mm. Yeah. So I was just, as you were talking, I was just pulling up John 13, which is like the beginning of that whole love feast. Um, which is, again, I mean, just slightly touching what we already touched. It's an exodus thing, right? Because it's a Passover meal. Um, but it's interesting, like you said, so the beginning of the scene starts with uh, Jesus washing his disciples' feet and beginning the dinner that way. And Judas is there. So you imagine Jesus washing the feet of the man who's going to betray him, who's spent years with him, and now he's going to you know, end up putting him, condemning him to death. So he's washing this guy's feet. He's washing his enemy's feet. Um, and then at the end of that scene, he issues the, the bread and the cup. And as soon as it says, as soon as, uh, as soon as Judas receives the bread, 
he uh, he takes off. He runs away to do the deed. And it says it was at night, right? Which is like a huge John theme of light and dark. So he goes off into the darkness and he just... Um, so that whole image of this commandment to love is set within the context of love being a very difficult thing. <laughs> like, like that whole scene is set up for you to realize that like the love Jesus is talking about is a love that turns uh, enemies into friends. It's a love that is willing to put yourself out on the line and be vulnerable. And so it's funny that like we just turn Monday, Thursday into, I mean, for me growing up, Monday, Thursday was when I got Vospov Kufte. Vospov Kufte is like this, um, this non-meat kebab looking thing. It's lentil kebab, I guess you could call it. If like you're a, not familiar like a, with our It's a vegetarian food. kebab. Like vegetarian kebab. <laughs> Made of yeah. lentils and it's delicious. It's amazing. It's so good. Makes you super gassy which is maybe TMI, but <laughs> it's, the, it's, true. The, it's the best. Um, so I remember like Monday, Thursday was, that was the day I got to fast for a while. And then when I got to church at night, I got Vospov Kufte. It was the best. And it's, of course, it's vegetarian because it's still Lent and we're not supposed to be eating meat. But the significance of that Thursday is huge. I mean, it's like to, to make it about the difficult task of, of taking a posture in the world that is loving, even in the face of your enemies is just a radical day. It's remarkable. Um, yeah. Uh, and it's interesting. It's like center. It's like right in the center of the story. So it's like Palm Sunday. And then you've got this day where you're supposed to remember the commandment to love one another just as Jesus is going to. And then Friday is the day where you're like, this is what that means. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, he, he practices what he preaches and preaches what he practices. He says yeah. no greater love is this, that a, a man lay down his life for a friend. Uh, right. The sacrifice, literally sacrificing your life is the, 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 what he means by love. Right. Uh, which is all another part of the problem. Um, because we we normally when we think about love we're thinking about the emotion of feeling in love mm -hmm. uh, all our movies all our pop songs they are pointing towards this just um temporal feeling uh and when the bible talks about love god is love uh um, what love is it's this agape love which means it's a charity it's a giving on to another person love um not that it's it's not wrong to have uh, the emotions of love, um, usually, but, 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 but what, 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 we're, what we're talking about, what Jesus is defining here is this action of putting others before you, uh, giving without expecting anything in return to the point of giving your own life to, a, to others. Yeah. Whether they're your enemy or your best friend and going back to that motif of Jesus is having a meal. Uh, the, it's funny, Palm, uh, Psalm 20, 23, right? Uh, yeah. What's the line with in the presence of my enemies? I'll set the yeah, table yeah, before yeah. me. It's like, yeah, whoa, yeah. why is the Lord mm -hmm. preparing me a table uh, of food in front of my enemy? I um, feel like that's the like that's the most misinterpret one of the most misinterpreted texts in the whole Bible. Like, it's so people go to Psalm twenty three and it's like, yeah, I get to eat a meal and humiliate my enemies, but the 
that's not quite what it means. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, love is this commandment. And the other thing about the Monday Thursday is it's, it's a command. It's not an option. Right. It's like, this is not like, oh, if you feel like it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. this is not like a mysterious par- a parable to figure out here. This is right. a command I give you, yeah. like a yeah, duty, yeah. like a responsibility you have. Go love yeah. people as I love you. Yeah, and this instruction, this commandment, so, I mean, in the Old Testament, commandment is Torah, right? It's the, the way to live your life, right? Torah is the wisdom to live your life by. It's the instruction to live your life by. And here Jesus is taking love and holding it up as the instruction, the command for all of living, right? So if you plug all of Holy Week together, you've got Palm Sunday, the beginning of this, this exodus, the salvation event. You've got Monday, Thursday, where you're coming in. And this is the commandment. This is the instruction that people who are going to follow me and live with me are going to live by this love. Good Friday, this is what love is, right? I mean, John holds this up in all of his letters. You want to know what love is? Jesus on the cross. That's love, right? And then Easter is this like party, this celebration that that love that looks foolish and ridiculous to the world, that love that loves one's enemies and sacrifices for people who hate you is actually the victory that overcomes the world. And that's the way that, that the instruction of love brings life to the world, right? Through, through that self-sacrifice and that giving to one another. And not in the sense that we become these like spineless doormats for other people, but in ways that like when we love somebody selflessly and then that disarms, the aim is that that disarming of the other invites them into a different way of being with you and with other people. Like it starts a new pattern of relationship with other people. When you love somebody sacrificially, the expectation is that that begins a different in in very technical language. It disrupts the system. It disrupts the, the way we interact with one another. And that disruption invites a different way for us to be in the world. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Um, and I'm just thinking about like right after the meal, that well, the commandment is given, uh, there's the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is praying yeah. to God. Beautiful. And it's fascinating because Jesus doesn't feel like doing this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's like the exact it. opposite of what we yeah. talk about love. I don't want to do this, Lord. Yeah, if there's yeah. another way, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then getting to that point of completely surrendering, not my will, but your will be done. Um, relying on God's uh, grace the yeah. father's grace to actually have the strength to love uh sacrificially yeah dude uh, one of the one of the coolest things about that Gethsemane scene is the way again like i'm just gonna go back and like nerd out with old testament um themes and symbols but he's in a garden okay like totally genesis and he's kneeling before a tree right? <laughs> Praying before God at a tree. And at this moment, he's making the decision that Adam and Eve, like he's not making the decision that they made, but he's, he's at a crisis point where he has to make a decision along the lines of the decision that Adam and Eve made. Am I going to decide what is good for me in my own eyes? Or am I going to give that up to God and decide that this way is the way that I'm, I'm walking into this way is, is what's good in his eyes. And just to see that scene as the, the recapitulation of the garden and the re, 
like restoring of that potential for there to be life and thriving in the world through him surrendering to God and acting in love, even for his enemies. It's just, it's beautiful. It's cosmic. I mean, I feel like at least personally, the way I grew up reading the Bible, it might've been stymied because I wasn't given the, the eyes or the whatever the tools to read the Bible in that way <laughs> where you're bringing all of these different rich images together at different scenes and seeing how they pop and how they're meant to be connected. And the fancy language we give, I guess, to it in new Testament studies is like intertextuality, how they're, the texts are talking to one another back and forth. Right. Um, right. It's such a better way to read the Bible, man. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it's like, it's always funny that the concept of East of Eden, we're exiled East of Eden. Yeah. And Jesus coming from the East yeah, and, yeah. And, and bringing and restoring the ability to be in the presence of God. Right. right, right. That, that, that's pretty much what this is about. Uh, Christ allowing us access with God again. He's the mediator. He's the King. He's the priest. He does something that is affects us now in the moment 2000 years ago. Yeah. 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 Um, it's, it's rich. I mean, Yeah, and then and then we get to Easter. I guess we skip Good Friday. Let's but, talk about uh, Good Friday and Easter in the next podcast. Yeah, we, we, let's not. Yeah, we're, we've gone a long way. Uh, we we covered uh, Palm Sunday and Maundy Thursday and our yeah. first inaugural episode of Christ and Coffee podcast. I feel like Easter itself could get its own thing. We'll uh, but we'll uh, meld it all together. Good Friday and Easter. Are, Probably going to take a, a full podcast moment. Yeah. And then I, I want to go on a rant about uh, how the Holy Week narrative doesn't make sense if Jesus Christ doesn't ascend. Yeah. Uh, ascension yeah, yeah, yeah. is often left out in the Western churches. Yeah. 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 Uh, and the gospel is not completed until Christ ascends. And right. we'll talk about that because it's really, I feel like that's hard to explain. So yeah. we need yeah, a whole other overlooked. episode on ascension. All right, so we have our next couple of episodes. Uh, yeah, we can do that. Ascension and Pentecost together, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we can, there you go. So we'll do dyads. <laughs> or we, we'll, we buckled up. Uh, we'll we'll play one week at a time. And yeah. uh, we'll also take feedback from the two people who've stuck to the end of this podcast. We thank you. There you go. For watching. There you go. Um, but yeah, so this is part of, uh, we're just going to kind of see how it, this thing evolves. Uh, we pretty much nerd up about our sermons on Sunday. So we figured it'd, it'd be good to just put this on a podcast. Um, I feel like we have more fun preparing for the sermon sometimes than actually giving the sermon. So, and sure. when we preach the sermon, you're always limited to a 20 minute slot or an hour slot, depending on your tradition. But yeah. there's a lot of build up. There's a lot of prep. A lot of pastors and preachers do beforehand um, and they can't give it all at once. Um, so there's, there's always the, the joy of learning, um, and uh, the, the, and uh, processing throughout the week, what does the scripture text really mean? Right. Uh, and uh, hopefully, this podcast will give you some insight on the week of the pastor on on on, on the sermon. It's not just a once a week event, but something that's constantly being thought about and and uh, thought through and uh, putting our education and degrees to use by by having the luxury of studying this. Uh, we hope to uh, just have a conversation with you uh, through our conversations. Yeah. Uh, our weekly text that we're going to be preaching on. 
Yeah, one of the things I hear the most is like, what does a pastor do throughout the week? Like, it's a it's a strange job we have. I mean, we're doing visitations, we're doing prep for sermons, and we're doing connection. We're trying to do administrative tasks and handle those as well. We're taking care of the souls of our congregation, not just the souls, but the the lives of our congregations. But um, I, I find that uh, um, at least our generation values uh, authenticity, upfrontness. What's the word I'm looking for? I think authenticity uh, sums it up. Yeah. It's kind of a, a behind the scenes look. Uh, yeah. not, not the polished sermon on Sunday, but uh, the what goes into that, what, what really is happening throughout the week. Uh, Transparency because, is the word I was looking for. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is kind of a way for people to see um, how, how the sort of sermon goes from a text to the development of, you know, the actual Sunday morning delivery. And as you can see, it's not a linear process. It's very circular. It's a kind of winding road at times. And this is uh this is part of the art of what we do as pastors. Um, and, and it's also a commitment both Haig and I share to invite the congregation as a community into part of this process too. So like Haig said, welcome comments and um, thoughts and ideas that also contribute to what we've talked about here this week. But um, we'll be posting these, I think, um, at least now during this season of quarantine, uh, hopefully we'll be posting one of these every week or so. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing how this takes off. Yeah. And again, thank all two of you for sticking to the end of this. And uh, we're just going <laughs> to see how this thing organically evolves. And uh, it also helps us preparing our Palm Sunday sermons and Monday Thursday sermons, just having this dialogue too. So yeah, it serves two purposes, kills two birds with one stone. Yes. Yes. This is the beginning of our sermon prep right here. There you go. Good times. Well, we'll talk again soon. All right, brother. This is fun. I go. Give uh, me a coffee. Cheers. I drank all of it. So you drank all of it. Yeah, oh, it's man. all close. A little bit. Cheers. Empty cheers. Uh, yeah. So thank you for watching the first Christ and Coffee podcast. Remember to stay caffeinated and uh, read your Bibles. <laughs> That's good. Take it easy, guys. Take care. Thanks for watching.